Hello and welcome to another episode of the Journal of Isekos podcast. My name is Dr. Andreas Voss and together with Dr. Manos Brilakis, we're more than happy to have Dr. Kenneth Hunt from the Department of Orthopedics at the US University of Colorado Denver with us today. In this episode, we will talk about his recently published article on the significant variations in surgical construct and return to sport protocols with syndesmotic injuries and Isakos Global Perspective in the Journal of Isakos. Hello, Dr. Hunt, and thank you for your time to join our podcast. So maybe you can tell us a few words about your clinical and scientific background. Well, thank you, Andreas. It's a pleasure to be with you and a pleasure to be a part of this. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I'm currently the Chief of Foot and Ankle Surgery at the University of Colorado, Denver, uh, which is pretty much right in the middle of the U.S., uh, up in the mountains. Um, I, uh, I trained at the University of Utah in orthopedics. I did a fellowship in foot and ankle at Ortho Carolina in Charlotte under Bob Anderson and Hodges Davis and their group. <clears throat> um, I, I was a, an athlete in college myself, so I took a, a special interest in sports injuries. And so that was really a focus, not only of my training, but of my clinical practice currently and of my research interests, which is part of what led to, to the project we're gonna discuss today. Uh, I started my career at Stanford. I was on faculty there for about seven years and then took my current post uh, at the University of Colorado uh, about uh, about six years ago. Perfect, thank you. So what was uh, your motivation for this study? Well, you know, I, we take care of a lot of syndesmotic injuries or high ankle sprains as they're often referred to. And what we found was that there was a pretty significant variability, not only in how these injuries are treated, but in how they're rehabilitated and what the expectations are for following these patients after their injury and after their treatment. So some of this is that the Isakos perspective has given us access to practitioners on different continents who think about things very differently. One of the key motivators was one of my colleagues in the U.S. who takes care of a, an American football team, a collegiate American football team, the University of Alabama. And he has been in the press a lot with reports of rapid return to sport following surgical treatment for syndesmosis injuries. And that kind of led me to think, well, we're probably thinking about this in a different way. And we should probably start by surveying the Isakos population and others around the world who manage these injuries to better define current practices in, in both surgical management and in rehabilitation. The goal was to use this data to launch a prospective comparative study where we really followed these athletes and followed specific protocols so that we can define best practice and then disseminate that so we're all treating athletes uh, with the best practice available. And how did you set up this study? Why did you choose a survey rather than a systematic review? Well, because we were really interested in getting the surgeon's perspective and the surgeon's practice. You know, as you know, publications come from a small number of practitioners who typically have are at a research institution and or have a research setup so that they can follow their data and publish. And we really wanted to hear from all practitioners. So even those that are primarily clinicians and don't publish a lot of research. Um, but we also, you know, systematic reviews, as you know, look a lot at historic data. And this is a rapidly moving field. 
So as I mentioned, my, my colleague who's kind of changed his practice in the last few years really, really shaped a lot of this. But we wanted to get a real-time look at how surgeons approach the syndesmotic injuries um, in, in real time and including surgeons that don't have you know, research assistance and other infrastructure. Oh, I understand. And you quoted that until recently, open reduction and screw fixation were considered the standard treatment for syndesmotic injuries. Since when did you notice a change in treating syndesmotic injuries with different techniques? Was it uh, due to your colleague, which was actually in, in the press or um, even uh, before that? Yeah, that's a great question. <clears throat> so I'm going to give a little bit of background on this and I'll include a little a little data. Um, you, you know, screw fixation of the syndesmosis has been standard for a long time. Um, as you know, most syndesmosis injuries that are treated surgically are associated with a fracture. Now we're recognizing more purely ligamentous syndesmotic injuries. And that's partly because, um, it, you know, we have bigger athletes, they're faster, they're higher impact uh, uh, injuries. And so the injuries are more severe and partly because we're better at recognizing it than we were 20 years ago. So it, it wasn't until the early 2000s, it was around 2005, 2006, when we first started seeing publications of a flexible device for the syndesmosis. And that first device is called the tightrope. Um, so the, the early reports were in like 05, 06. In fact, if you look at re review articles from that time frame, flexible fixation is not even mentioned. Um, there was an article in 2010 looking at Uh, at you know preferences for for treating syndesmotic injuries and about 10% of practitioners use flexible fixation so even as, as recent as 2010 screws were were primarily used as we went through the decade of the 2010s more and more data was coming out about the advantages of flexible devices tight ropes and other other flexible technologies that didn't create the stiffness that screws created and so more reports came out and then in 2000 and 19, I believe it was, there was a very nice review article by our colleagues at the Hospital for Special Surgery, which demonstrated that the outcomes are better with flexible fixation sort of across the board compared to screws, if you look at all that data in the, in the intervening uh, 10 years. So that that's kind of what I was observing. Now, I started using the flexible devices fairly early on uh, because there was enough biomechanical data and clinical data supporting them. I like the idea that I didn't have to go in and take them out. I like the idea that I didn't have athletes, you know, going to their professional combines with broken screws. And I saw anecdotally really good results. So I, I made that shift fairly early on in my practice once the technology was available. Um, the reason I think that that it, we're shifting toward flexible fixation as, uh, you know, as sort of a sports medicine world is that that's what the data is pointing to. Now, in order for us to really make a statement like that, we have to understand what people are doing. And that was the impetus of this survey, is to find out you know, what devices are people using? How are they rehabilitating these patients? How far apart are we as sports medicine professionals? <clears throat> and then more importantly, how do we all get on the same track that's best for our athletes? Perfect. And as you investigated the different techniques around the world, Did you find any differences between the countries or continents? And if so, what was the difference? You know, surprisingly, <clears throat> there wasn't a big difference between continents. I, I expected that, I really did. 
but really the breakdown of people who use screws versus uh, flexible fixation was pretty similar across the, the various continents. I, I would say that Europe had a slightly higher propensity to use flexible fixation than did um, uh, you, you know, North America and, and Asia and the other continents. But overall, statistically, they were very similar. So you generated six different athlete scenarios for this survey. Moderate impact, high impact, and very high impact athletes with and without complete deltoid injury. Did you find any differences in the surgical, conservative, or in the post-operative approach? Uh, yes, Andreas, thank you. So we, we did find a couple of very meaningful differences between the groups that surprised us. One was that there, there wasn't a huge change in whether or not the surgeons would repair the deltoid ligament. So that was, that was one consistent finding that we had uh, you know, among our respondents. The second was that there was a significant variability in anticipated return to sport at each time frame. So those six athlete scenarios were basically large, medium, and small athletes, uh, and then complete syndesmosis injury with or without a deltoid ligament injury. And what we found was a significant breadth. So the, the breadth was from two weeks to six months. That was the anticipated return to sport. So we had some respondents that thought that those athletes could get back within two or three weeks and some respondents that thought that the same athlete would get back in six months. That was probably the most striking difference. Um, as we look to the average timeline, it's very consistent with published practice on rehabilitation. There's a very nice article by Peter DeHoog uh, investigating the European football community um, where they map out return to sport based on injury severity. And the average, our, our finding of the average response was right on par with that in terms of when they get back to weight bearing, when they get back to running and when they return to full sport. But if you look at the extremes, we had very aggressive respondents that got athletes back or anticipated getting athletes back within a few weeks. And then some that would anticipate the recovery taking six months. That was probably the, the most striking finding uh, from our data in terms of variability. What would be your take home message from this article? Did, did this article change your clinical practice? So the results of the article really didn't change my clinical practice. It did help me realize that while I'm on the more aggressive end of the spectrum in terms of recovery, I, I'm definitely not as aggressive as others. Where that's important is that it may uncover an opportunity for us to define a best practice for managing synosmosis injuries that allows us to get our athletes weight-bearing and running faster and returning to sport faster, but doing it in a safe way. So for me, the value in this is really to start looking at a larger prospective cohort of patients where we can understand the safety of more aggressive return timelines and develop best practices to follow along those timelines. So that's the opportunity for me is to figure out how we as sports medicine providers can do this better. Um, obviously keeping athlete safety as uh, of primary importance, how can we rehabilitate these athletes effectively, get them back onto the field or the court more rapidly, um, but do it in a safe way that optimizes their outcome. Perfect, I couldn't add anything. 
So uh, once again, thank you for your time and for joining our podcast. And hopefully we'll have you back for another episode with your next publication in the Journal of Ithacos. Thanks, Andreas. I enjoy being here. This was Associate Professor Dr. Andreas Voss from the University Hospital of Regensburg in Germany on behalf of the Journal of Isakos. We hope to have you back for our next episode. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the society or the journal.